Well, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, I Some of you remember me, so I'm amazed I uh, was able to say hi to you and you were saying welcome back. So I assume that you uh, remember that I was here before, so that's cool. I won't spend a lot of time introducing myself just to say that it is so good to be in another downtown church and uh, pray for you. So grateful for your ministry here. I uh, love your pastor and his wife and uh, just feels like I'm with family when I'm here. So do you ever see anybody who's a little bit too excited about whatever it is they're excited about? Uh, one time I was preaching and uh, I can't even remember what it was, but somebody came up to me and said, oh, that was amazing. It reminded me of a movie, and uh, so we need to go see this movie. I forget what it was. I, I don't. I think it was a superhero movie. I can't remember if it was Marvel or DC. But at the end of the uh, movie, it was like, okay, that was good. But he came up to me, and almost with tears in his eyes, and he said, do you see? Do you see how that relates to your sermon? And I was like, no, I don't have a clue. Uh, the movie was sort of okay. I have no idea what connections you made between that and my sermon, but I'm really happy that you're happy about it. Sometimes people really get into things. One of my favorite things is to see people who are very excited about a topic, and I I love to see their passion for it. Uh, One of my favorite movies is, uh, well, any movie that has a musician that's very skilled at their craft and able to... and, And what I love is not only the music... But their passion for the topic, it just makes me excited, even though I'm not excited necessarily about whatever instrument they play. I just love their passion, and it gets me a little bit passionate. Well, today I want to look at a passage of scripture, and it's one of those that you kind of wonder, is the psalmist a little bit too excited about something? Uh, Psalm 122 is the psalm, and I want to read it with you, and uh, then look at it together, because I think it has a lot to say to us today. So Psalm 122. And a bit of background here. This is what what is called a, a psalm of ascent or a song of ascent. And these were pilgrim songs. Uh, they were sung probably, uh, we guess as far as we can tell, it, they were sung as people traveled to Jerusalem for one of the three annual pilgrimages that they made. And so three times a year, the believers in Israel would go uh, at Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They would go to Jerusalem And these were pilgrim songs. You would sing them as you traveled on the way to Jerusalem. And a lot of Christians have said, these are really helpful because we, in a sense, are on a pilgrimage through this world. We are uh, not traveling to Jerusalem, but we are traveling through this world. And sometimes we need songs to keep us on track as we travel. And so Psalm 120 begins in a, a troubled land, a foreign land far from home. And I wish we had time to look it up, but Psalm 120 is like, man, we live in a broken world full of sin and trouble, and we're beginning this journey. Can you relate? (laughs) We live in a broken world full of trouble, but we're headed on this pilgrimage to home. And Psalm 121 is really on the way, and Psalm 121 is, okay, Lord, we're on the way, we're on the pilgrimage, we need your care. We need your protection because life is rough. Traveling is hazardous. This is not... You know, we're not guaranteed to arrive safely, so God, please protect us as we travel. And then Psalm 122, finally we arrive in Jerusalem. And again, as I say, the psalmist is very excited. So as I read this psalm, I want you to pick up the excitement uh, that, that the psalmist David writes with. 
Psalm 122 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And then, uh, almost like a ode, a love song to Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Well, you read the psalm and you can't help but pick up that David is very excited to be there. And I get it. If you've been on a long trip, uh, I've driven to Florida before. Uh, one time my wife and I said, we're going to take the long route. We're not going to take the interstate. We're just going to, you know, every time we see something that interests us, we're going to stop and pull over. Well, about day four of the trip, I was like, okay, shoot me. I just need to get there. You know, this is this was fun for the first three days, but there's just a joy in finally arriving where you're supposed to go. Why was the psalmist so excited? And I want to pause here to say, uh, and I'm going to make some parallels between his pilgrimage to what it means to be part of the church. Uh, because what excites him is really gathering as God's people to worship. And I want to say, sometimes, full confession, it is hard to get excited about worshiping God in church. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, sometimes, I've got to be honest, I feel it. Sometimes I am so hungry, and I almost come crawling into church just desperate to worship God. But there have been days where sometimes I felt like, okay, I just don't feel it today. I'm not excited, and I know the problem is me. The problem is not with God. The problem is my soul. But sometimes I feel how difficult it is to approach God in worship. Uh, you know, sometimes as we were singing this morning, uh, you know how sometimes I go camping in the, the summer, and you know how sometimes you light a fire, and uh, I'm ashamed to say that my, and this is, okay, I'm not ashamed to say, because it's, it's okay to say this these days. My wife is amazing at building fires. I kind of feel like it's a guy's job to do it, and she's like, always move aside, I'll do it, like leave it in the hand of pros, you go over there. And last year, uh, we went camping, and usually she builds it, and it's like, she, you're insulted if you say, like, you don't use a chemical or whatever. She's just like, no, I know how to build it. Step aside. Well, last year, we began to build a fire. She began to build a fire, and it just wouldn't light. Do you ever feel like that as you, on a Sunday, as you begin to think of worshiping God? Sometimes the, it, no problem, it lights. But other times, our souls are cold, and we just feel like we're, we're like wet wood, that isn't prepared to worship God. Sam Albury writes this, uh, and picture him in England walking to church. He used to live in England. I think when he wrote these words, he was in England. He says, being honest, on some Sundays, the park looks like a better option. I was working for a church in Oxford, and my walk to the morning service every Sunday took me through a park. It was lovely. On a sun, sunny Sunday morning, the place was full, everyone doing their thing and having a great time. But church is an effort, it's sometimes hard, and it's far from normal. Why bother going at all? Why bother making it a priority in your week every week? And that's this psalm is going to help us answer that question. Why is it worth it to gather as God's people together 
week after week, even the weeks that we don't feel it. Now I want to, because I've make, made a leap, um, this he's talking about Jerusalem, and all of a sudden I'm talking about church. I want to just pause here to say a little bit, a few interpretive jumps I'm making here. We don't live in Jerusalem. Uh, and if we did, if you went to where the temple used to be, you would not find it there. It was destroyed in 70 AD, it no longer exists. However, the temple represents something bigger. The temple is really the place where God dwelt on earth. It is a recovery of Eden, where God's people got to actually dwell with God. In other words, the temple is not just a place to attend. It's a little slice of the Garden of Eden in our broken world. It's where God's space and our space overlaps, where heaven and earth meet. It is the most important place on earth where God dwells with his people. And so you might be thinking, what do we do with the fact that the temple no longer exists? Well, you know what? The Bible actually says the temple does exist. When Jesus came to earth, John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, identify Jesus as the temple. He was a place where heaven and earth overlap. But what is even more amazing to me is that Ephesians says that we have now become part of the temple. So Ephesians uh, 2 verses 19 to 22 say that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and priests, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him we are also being built together into a dwelling place by God in the, uh, sorry, for God by the Spirit. And what Ephesians is saying is, look, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. You can no longer go to Jerusalem and say, I'm standing where David stood and here it is and this is amazing. That's where Jesus taught. You can't do that anymore. But as we gather, we are the temple of God with all of God's people collectively. Our gatherings as a church, and think of this, right now we are part of a new Eden where God meets his people in joyful fellowship and worship. In the middle of The broken world, we are a little slice of Eden. When you put your faith in Christ, you become part of God's holy temple that he's building, where heaven and earth overlap. As Clinton Arnold says, God has drawn closer to his people by actually dwelling with them. That is, by making the corporate body of believers his holy habitation. There's a lot going on here, friends, this morning. Don't miss I mean, you thought you were coming to a gymnasium in a high school and just singing songs and listening to somebody talk. Like, there's so, we did all that. There's so much more going on. There is a, open your eyes. Ask God to open all of our eyes to the wonder of, of what's taking place here. I mean, I could go on and on. I need to rein myself in or else we're going to be here all day. But I just want to say, there's so much going on. Angels are actually watching what's going on. We are testifying before the spiritual world to the reality of the gospel. Uh, God is present with us today. However you were welcomed as you came in, do you realize that you were welcomed not just by uh, the the greeter who, who greeted you by the welcome from the front of the service? You are a guest of Jesus Christ himself who's invited us to come and approach God and worship today. What the pilgrims hope to see as they travel to Jerusalem, we see with greater clarity. 
if they could have seen Jesus, if they could know what we know about Jesus, that Jesus, the very Son of God, came to offer his life in exchange for, to offer his life for our sins, that he took on our sins and he gave us his perfect record, that he came to build a new community, that he's made us his people, he's adopted us, he's reconciled us to God. If they could have seen what we know and take for granted, they would have been amazed. And so we have even more than David had as he stood in Jerusalem on that day. And not only that, but we look forward to uh, when God will dwell again on earth, Eden will be restored, and Revelation says, actually, on that day there will be no temple, because its temple will be the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Revelation 21, verse 22. Okay, that's why I'm making the jump from the temple to the church. That's why I'm making the jump to say that we are collectively God's temple. And what David says about being so excited to be in the temple, we get to say as we gather to be part of God's people. Let me give you two reasons why the church matters. And then let me give you three practical steps we can take. So why does the church matter? Two reasons here. The wow factor, okay? So what do I mean by this? Church matters because of the wow factor. David says, I was glad when I said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. What David is saying here is, wow, God, I can't believe I get to be here. Wow, this is amazing. I have a pastor friend who can't believe that he gets to be part of the church. And it's been so good for me. I've listened to his sermons. He lives in a different city. I don't get to be at that church very often. But often as he's gathering to preach and and he's he's like, guys, pinch me. This is a favorite part of my week. I can't believe that we get to worship God together. And it's contagious. As I hear his excitement for being part of the church, it begins to uh, help me not take for granted the privilege it is to gather as part of God's people. If I were to summarize verses 1 and 2, here's the point that I think David is making. I can't believe that I get to worship God. I can't believe that I get to stand here as part of God's people, and this is far greater than I deserve. I can't believe that I get to be part of this. Wow. I can't believe that we get to worship God, that God is attentive, that this morning as you sang, that God himself was hearing our praises, that God delights that the Holy Spirit is present with us, that as we open his word, that he moves through his word, that he speaks to our hearts, that he welcomes us. I can't believe that I get to be part of it. And can I just confess that there have been phases in my life when I've been cynical about the church. There have been parts of my life where I've lost sight of the wow factor. There's a huge part of my life, and I've repented of it now, but I was hurt by the church. And I became so hurt by the church that I began to be disillusioned by the church. And it's not hard, is it? We look around, we see the flaws within the church. We see sinful people. We see sometimes uh, even the church collectively getting off track. Recently, I've been shaken by, again, um, affairs of pastors. And it breaks my heart, partially because I know how vulnerable I am. And I'm not saying, by the way, that I'm doing anything improper. What I'm saying is, as Ray Ortland says, I'm five minutes away from completely blowing it and dishonoring God. All of us are. 
We're five minutes away from completely dishonoring God. It is so easy to be disillusioned. And it's not just people in other camps. It's so much easier when it's people who don't believe the things we do, or it's that group. But it's heartbreaking when it's us, when it's our tribe. But I'll tell you this. By God's grace, I can't believe now that I get to be part of the church. As I gather to worship with you this morning, warts and all, flaws and all, I can't believe that we get to be part of this. Why is the church so amazing? I've already given you a few reasons. Let me give you a few more. It was purchased by Jesus at the cost of his life. When I go shopping, Charlene will... I don't go shopping very often, but if I do, if I go to a place like Yorkdale or Eaton Center, Charlene will will walk by somebody and Charlene will say, did you notice what they were wearing? And I will say no. (laughs) Always. And she will say, well, their boots are, you know, this many hundred dollars. That purse was so many thousand dollars. Um, That coat would have been this many thousand dollars. You know, that person who just passed you is wearing $15,000. And I'll look over at my wife and I'll say, well, I'm glad that you're dressed for about $100. Praise God for (laughs) frugal wives. (laughs) Friends, you realize, as you pass a church, how much was paid for that church's existence? Oftentimes we pass by, it's like, did you notice what that church cost? This church was purchased by Jesus at the cost of his life. That speaks to its value, isn't it? How much did Jesus, how much does Jesus value the church? So much that he was willing to die for her. Friends, why is the church amazing? It is a place where heaven and earth overlaps, where God dwells with his people. If you're to say in downtown Toronto, where does God dwell? I know that there's many ways you could answer that question, but one of the most accurate ways to speak of that we know God is everywhere. But in a unique sense, God dwells in a particularly unique way within his church as it gathers. That God is present with his people, that God dwells among his people, that we, in a sense, embody his presence here on earth. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11 say, it's where God shows his wisdom to the spiritual world. Right now, if Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 is true, and it is, God is pointing to us as evidence of his manifold wisdom. And God is saying, look what I've done. I, I often use this illustration. Uh, do you ever see somebody who takes uh, distressed wood I mean, wood that was floating and discarded. And they turn it and they make it into a beautiful piece of furniture. And you're looking at it like, that's amazing. How did you take discarded wood that was good for nothing and turn it into a work of art? I think that's what Paul might be referring to. That God has taken us. And you know what? I mean, although I know what I was like, I know what I'm like now. God has turned us into something that's beautiful. And he points to the angelic world, the spiritual world, and points to the church and says, Look what I've made out of nothing. It's our family where we can be loved, where there's no such thing as a misfit. We never have to be alone. I used to think church was a metaphor or family was a metaphor. And now I actually think it's a reality. It's not a metaphor. It's actually reality. We are a family where there's no such thing as a misfit, where all of us belong and are loved. It's where we can be encouraged and built up. It is his bride who will live with him on the new earth. I love doing weddings. That's a lie. Sometimes I hate doing weddings. I hate the, I hate, I hate the rehearsals. I hate the drama. I hate like the, you know what I love? I love standing up. This is like, sign me up to do any wedding anytime with any couple that, that's, should be married. You know what I love? 
I love standing up there with the groom. And I love when the doors open and the bride comes in. And everyone's looking at the bride, which is like the bride is the second most amazing thing to look at at the moment. The second, Only the second most amazing. You know what the first most amazing thing to look at is at that moment? The face of the groom as he looks at the bride coming in the door. You know, the bride might be beautiful. What's even more beautiful is to see the love of the groom for the bride. And as that bride walks down the aisle, my eyes are, okay, I'll look at her a little bit, but I'm looking at the groom and seeing the delight and love that he has for her in that moment. Friends, how does Jesus see the church? Jesus loves his bride. The church is a big deal. In verses 1 and 2, David says, man, I can't believe I get to be part of this. It is a very big deal to be part of the church. This is not something we should take for granted. It is an honor. It is a privilege. It is one of the greatest privileges of our life. Why does the church matter? Because of the wow factor. Because of how much the church matters. And we should pinch ourselves and say, I can't believe that I get to be part of it. At our church, uh, one time, uh, Somebody opened the service, and by the way, you do a really good job of welcoming people and setting the stage. One day, somebody said, thank you so much for coming. I know there's so many other things you could be doing today. You know, there's a TFC game. There's so many other things that we're competing with for your time, so thank you for coming today. And I said to him later, never say that again. What you need to say is, friends, welcome. We are so glad to see you. Isn't it cool that we get together There's nothing that touches what we are about to do today. TFC, movies, concerts, there's nothing that compares to what we're about to do. Friends, that is the reality. It is a privilege to be part of his church. The second reason why church matters, and verse 3 talks about it, verses 3 to 5, church matters because it brings people together. Church matters not only because of the wow factor, church matters because it brings people together. Verses 3 to 5 what he says is Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. By the way, the first time I went, the only time I think I've been in Jerusalem, I was actually a little bit disappointed. I read Psalms like this, and I'm like, it's going to be so beautiful. And I remember seeing it, maybe you've had a different experience if you've been there. But I remember seeing it and thinking, this is it? Like, And it's amazing, right? Jesus walked there, David was there, Jesus gave his life there. But I read verse 3, and I'm like, okay, I don't... But he goes on and he says, this is what really matters. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, uh, where their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And what he's saying is, the great thing about Jerusalem, uh, and I wish I'd seen the beauty of the temple, but what he's saying is the great thing about Jerusalem, it is it is the place where the nation is united, where people come together to praise God and pursue justice. There's something about when God's people come together and gather together and worship. And I think what he's saying here is what's great about Jerusalem is three times a year, back then, it's a place where tribes lay aside their tribal identities and take up the one identity of being part of God's people, of uniting around the worship of God. When they gather in Jerusalem, in a very real sense, there was no tribe of Judah and tribe of Dan. And, you know, it was like, no, we are the people of God, unified around one thing, which is the worship of God. 
And friends, it's the same in church. At least it should be the same in church. Where we gather as God's people, we lay, lay aside our tribal identities and we pick up the identity of God's holy people. You know, last time I came here, as uh, not to this church, but in this area, I couldn't get through Queens Park Circle. You know why? Because the police had it blocked off, right? Uh, and I've got friends uh, who can't stand those who were part of the trucker convoy. I've got friends who were part of the trucker convoy. You know, the past few years, we've had so many divisions on so many issues. But when we gather to worship God's people, we all have our ideas and opinions. Uh, but you know what happens when we gather to, to worship God together? We lay aside our tribal identities and we unite together around the identity that gives us, that transcends all of that, which is Jesus Christ. As we gather to worship, it doesn't matter what, in a very real sense, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what political leanings you are, you have. It doesn't matter what social class you belong to. It doesn't matter. You know what matters? That we come to worship Jesus. As D.A. Carson says, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or common anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they've all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Church is a place where God calls us to lay aside all of our tribal identities and prejudices and unite around Jesus. It's where everyone who trusts Jesus belongs, where things like prejudice, division, hostility, and mocking the other side have no place. And friends, we don't always measure up to this, but it's what God has called us to be, and it is amazing. Why does the church matter? Church matters because of the wow factor and because it brings people together. Okay, so in light of this, I think there's three actions that we can take, and uh, I think they're in the psalm. By the way, I want to pause here and say, um, Andrew asked me to kind of touch on, uh, I wrote a book called Eight Habits for Growth, and uh, he said, kind of speak on a theme of one of those, and I got thinking about which one to to think about. So, And I, I actually began this project thinking of our local church, how we can help our people grow. And it's so basic, right? When you boil it down, there's eight habits, but really three of them matter, I think, more than anything. And the three are being in the Word of God, uh, number one. Number two, prayer, developing our prayer life, speaking with God. And the third is being part of the body. If I were to simplify, and you said three is too many, right? Bible, prayer, church, too many. I would say, okay, if you really force me to choose between those uh, I can make an argument for any one of those, but I think if you force me, gun to the head, pick one of them, I would say the church. And the reason why is because guess what happens in the church? In the church, we actually get to be in the word of God. We actually pray together. And so, and plus we have what the church is. So if, if you were to force me to simplify, I would that's why I chose this topic today is because please, you were made to be part of the church. If you were, to, if you're going to grow as a believer into Jesus Christ, there's so many things you can do. Please be in the Word of God. Please speak to God. He loves to hear from you. But 
if you're to prioritize anything, please be part of the church because that's where God intends us to grow. And here's three actions I think we can take from the psalm. And one is implicit. Show up. (laughs) Show up. Where is this implicit? Well, in Psalm 122, David's assuming that he, as they sing together this song, as the pilgrims come, they've actually made the journey and they've come to worship God together. Psalm 122 speaks of this embodied existence as being part of God's people worshiping together. And the first time I developed the sermon, I actually left this part out and I realized I was assuming too much. Friends, and I'm preaching to the choir uh, and you online as well because you're, you've tuned in today. But I know there's so many people who don't do this. Please prioritize showing up as part of the church. Not to make your pastor happy. Not for, I mean, that's okay. Please do make him happy. I think Hebrews says that it's our job to make our pastor happy because when they're happy pastors, we get to be happy people. It's actually in our best interest that we have happy pastors. But that's not the main reason. Show up because not only is it right, not only is it proper, but it's for your own good. Uh, in a recent book, Rediscovering Church, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman write this. What's the next step? We have good news. It's easier than you can imagine. Just show up and ask how you can help. That's right. The whole takeaway from an entire book is uh, that they tell new church members, and nobody so far has ever challenged them who's followed this advice, they promise that if they just show up consistently and seek to care for others, they will get everything they want out of the church. They'll get spiritual growth. They'll get friendships. They'll get biblical knowledge. They'll get practical help. They'll get whatever they want from the church, including spiritual growth, simply by showing up. And friends, please don't miss the power of simply showing up. Showing up is going to do so much. Just as you did this morning, continue to show up. Keep showing up. But number two, pray for the church. Verses 6 and 7 says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The psalmist says, pray for the peace. And then he personifies Jerusalem and actually speaks peace to it. As the psalmist calls the Jews to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I call you to pray for the peace of the church. As you drive here on a Sunday or walk here, however you get here, as you pass churches, one of the things I love to do is to pray for churches as I pass them. They're not competitors. If they're uh, Bible-believing churches, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for their peace. Pray for Liberty Grace Church, if we ever come to mind. We need prayer. Pray for, if you pass churches that don't preach the gospel, pray for those churches too. Pray that God would send people there who would solidly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a friend who once preached in a United Church and uh, was called to be a guest preacher and preached the word faithfully that day. And somebody came up afterwards and said, with tears in her eyes, and just said, thank you. It has been decades since I've heard the gospel proclaimed from that pulpit. Thank you. Would you pray that God would send people there that would preach the gospel? One of the stories I love about, uh, I think, United Church that's just east of, um, close to where you live, I think, uh, 
east of where Grace Toronto Church meets, uh, Kitty Corner to Jarvis Street, United Church there. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones came from England to preach there uh, one summer a long time ago. Pray for those churches. Pray for that church where Lloyd-Jones once preached the gospel, and now the gospel is no longer preached. But friends, pray for this church. If this is the church where you call home, pray for the peace of this church. Pray that it would prosper. Pray that its mission would be accomplished. Pray for unity among the church. Pray that its needs would be met. Pray for Pastor Andrew. Pray for the peace of this church. I was reading Colossians, and at the end of it, um, Paul speaks of Epaphras, and he says, uh, I don't have it memorized yet, but he says, what amazes me about Epaphras is that he struggles. He And the word there is is a wrestling term. He's actually working hard. It is prayers for the church. Why don't we take up that challenge? Let's labor hard. Let's let's actually put effort into praying for the peace of the church. And finally, action three, seek the good of the church. Verse nine says, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And what does this look like? It means playing our role, each of us, to live up what the church has called us to be. As Spurgeon said, if we honor our God, we desire the prosperity of the church, which he has chosen for his indwelling. And so what can you do? Um, I think one thing I'm learning, I'm trying to learn, is if you just show up on a Sunday, and I'm so glad you have the fellowship times after, if you show up and just say, God, I want, to, in this time, to seek the good of the church, how can you use me to be a blessing to others? And I'm just learning, showing up intentionally, seeking the good of the church, seeking how you can be a blessing to others. God rarely doesn't answer that prayer. God, how can you use me to be a blessing to the church? How can you use me not just to receive, but to be a giver, to be a blessing to the church? So what is the message that I'm trying to say today? Don't lose sight of what the church is. Don't lose sight of how it brings people together. I mean, in downtown Toronto, who would ever think that we would be here worshiping God today? Don't lose sight of the amazing privilege we have of being part of the church. And practically speaking, keep showing up. Pray for the church and seek the good of the church any way that you can. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. Um, it is amazing that we get to worship you today. Lord, it's, it's such a gift that we don't have to live the Christian life alone. We get to be part of your family. We get to be part of your people, not just now, but for eternity. Father, thank you for Jesus. We are amazed that he loved us to the extent that he was willing to give his life for us, that we could be formed into his people, where ethnic and political and social barriers are set aside, and where together we come to be part of your people. Help us not to lose the wow factor over who you have called us to be together. I pray you would unite us and help us to live up to this calling. Help us to show up consistently. Help us to be faithful in praying for your church and seeking the good of the church. Lord, we look forward to that day when the church will be completely purified. Um, The faults we see in her now will be no more. Lord, we look forward to the day when 
the wedding feast will take place where we as the bride will finally see our bridegroom. Lord, until that day, would you keep us faithful? Thank you for this church. Bless it, we pray. And bless every person who's here today and online for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.